You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. It is great to be together today. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic time. I'm going to have you take your outline out of your program. I believe that God has got a message for you today. His Holy Spirit's going to speak to you on the inside. You may want to write some things down that just kind of help lock that in. Uh, but wouldn't it be a shame if we came to church today and you heard about God, but you didn't hear from God? Wouldn't that be a shame? And sometimes as, uh, as God uses my gift as I speak, that God's going to, by his Holy Spirit, translate that to you in what's going on in your life. And so, uh, but God just doesn't just force his way in on your life. He wants us to ask. And so we're going to just bow our heads and ask, would you just take a moment and ask God, would you be my teacher? And so just in the quiet, in your own way, would you just invite God to speak to your heart today? And in just a moment, I'll pray. So go ahead at this time. God, I thank you that you are in the business of speaking and revealing your truth and to drawing our lives more and more to be conformed like your own. And so we're grateful that you're here today. Thank you, God, for your goodness in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Well, this week uh, I traveled to Colorado, Heather and I did, because uh, Heather's grandfather died while we were in Israel. And uh, so I went out there to officiate the service. And uh, by the way, how many of you, you knew your great-grandparents? Like you knew who your great-grandparents were? Not a lot of us, right? Like my boys, uh, in a really interesting way, knew a great-grandma and a great-grandpa until they were basically in their 20s. And that's just huge. It's phenomenal. They lived a long life. But uh, Heather's grandfather passed away, and so I went and officiated the service. And uh, at the service, three people gave their lives to the Lord. That's just awesome stuff. You can give it up for that. That's good. Out of loss comes life, and we see that all the time uh, in our culture and maybe even in your own life. It's those moments that make you ask the big questions. And, and it was interesting when you listen to people talk about a person who's gone, you hear what they say, and, and the thing that time and again, we listened at the memorial, and we didn't hear people say, like, what a great businessman he was, or what a great, what people talked about time and again was, I was in need, and he was generous, or he cared for me in this way, or he was like a protector for me, and on and on and on, just about the generosity, the things that really matter in life, those are the things that for you and for me are said at a memorial, right? That's what you and I hear all the time. And you don't want to go through your life and just, you know, hear at the end what a great thing you did in terms of your business accolades. You want to hear at the end of your life how your life and the investment of your life and your love touched somebody else. And that's what we heard uh, at the memorial. But we live in a culture that is more and more isolated. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Uh, Heather and I discovered one thing when we moved to Northern California from Southern California. What we discovered was this. The further you get out of L.A., the nicer people get. (laughs) So we came up here, and I remember going through Chick-fil-A, and, like, the Chick-fil-A person didn't just want to give us our food and say, my pleasure. They wanted to give you your food and actually have a conversation. I'm like, who does that? Like, we were so unused to, like, people actually wanting to be uh, invested beyond just serving your life. And, and so it was neat. But I, but I got to be honest with you. The larger Elk Grove gets, the larger Sacramento gets, 
the more that we dive into social media and the more that we dive into our work and we isolate into our homes and you drive into your garage and you shut the garage door, you drive into your parking spot and you run up and shut your apartment door, whatever it is, the more that you go on and on and on like that, we are getting more isolated as a culture. We are more connected on social media, but we see an increase in depression and an increase in loneliness in our culture. We have more ways to connect, but we connect only at a surface level. And we hunger on the inside for deep and meaningful relationship. And when we look at the end of our lives, the things that people say about us at the end of our lives are the way that relationship impacted them more than what you did or what you accomplished in your life. And Heather is a great baker. She bakes amazing things, and I think as a smart baker, she bakes a lot of stuff, and then she's like, get it out of the house. Because if it stays in the house, you know, it's going to show up on all of us. And so there would be times that Heather uh, would bake, and then she would say to me and, and the boys, hey, guys, will you take this plate of cupcakes or whatever over across the street? Will you take this over here? And she would just start naming our neighbors that we had to take them to, and many times we're happy to do that. But then every now and then, it'd be like Christmas morning, she would bake like cinnamon rolls, and they'd say, oh, will you take these over? And I'm going, honey, it's Christmas morning. It's like, you know, 9 a.m., like, they don't want to hear from us on Christmas morning. And she'd be like, no, 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 go, go over there. And so we went over one time to the neighbors. We're knocking on the door. And this guy comes. He's like, dude. <laughs> like, it might even been New Year's. It's New Year's morning. What are you doing, right? And then he sees, like, that we have cinnamon rolls. And he's like, wow, okay, thanks. And, like, it's a flip-flop. And I'm like, Heather knows something that we catch up on. Like, like it's not natural for me, but for her it's natural. And that is that hospitality has a way of making you just kind of feel like friends. It, it provides a bridge. It's a way of inviting people into something deeper than just simply waving at each other as you're driving down your street. Well, God provides an unexpected way sometimes for you and I to show hospitality. So we know our neighbors. We know most of our neighbors. We have our neighbors like you move in and out, and we know our neighbors, except the way our house sits, it backs up to another house. And we've been in our house for nine years, and we don't know our neighbors behind us. We don't know them, and, and there's a reason. It's not their house backs up to ours, but to get to their house, you've got to go all the way around the block. Then you've got to come in the cul-de-sac that they live on, and then there's their house. So our house, yes, there's a fence between our house and there, but we don't really know our neighbors. And so about a month ago, I came home from church and God uh, blew the fence down. <laughs> so the rains happened, the dry rot kicked in, and the fence blew down. And, uh, and so I came home and I saw this. I was like, oh, man, the fence is down. And, and so I figured, well, I, I got to go over there to, you know, talk to the neighbor about fixing the fence. And so, uh, of course, I did not walk all the way around the block. I just walked through the fence since it was down, went and knocked on their door and introduced myself to our neighbors and just found out, man, these are great people. They, they, they leave early in the morning that we would see a light come on and a light go off, but they work in the, in the city and him in the Bay Area a lot of times and she runs marathons. And so like we just wouldn't see a lot of them because they get up early and they do all this active stuff. And, and so uh, I introduced myself to them. We talked about, of course, the fence. And after a while, we're just like, we just need to have these people over for dinner. So a couple weeks ago, we had them over for dinner and just found out these are great people. 
And having dinner together, breaking bread together, just makes you feel like family. And it was wonderful to be able to extend hospitality to our neighbors. But sometimes God, in an unexpected way, says, go. He comes to your life and he says, go. I'm sending you. I'm opening a door. You didn't expect it. It might look like an interruption, but I'm providing an opportunity for you to show hospitality. And one thing I want to talk with you today in our series called Generous, in the year of generosity, that's our theme for the year as a church, is that hospitality is the heart of generosity. When you think of generous, you might think of writing a check. Or you think of generous, you might think, well, I did, you know, something for like a secret Santa or something along those lines. But the reality is hospitality. That's the heart of generosity. And there are times that God opens a door and says, go. He might blow down your fence. He might move somebody out and move somebody in. He might come to you and put you with a new department at work. He might put you in a new set of classes. He might come along and say, I'm opening the door for you to show hospitality to somebody else. We're going to look today in Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bible open there, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at the life of Abram. And Abram means exalted father, but Abram didn't have any offspring. He's 75 years old and he has no kids, but his name means exalted father. Do you think he ever heard about that? He probably did. But God comes along and interrupts his world. And here's a question I have for you. Number one on your outline. Do you trust God even when he doesn't immediately deliver? Do you trust God even when he doesn't immediately deliver? So Abraham comes from the city of Ur. This is Ur of the Chaldeans. It's basically Babylon, which would be modern-day southern Iraq. And and he comes, he's, he's living there, and God, he's not even necessarily seeking God, but God reveals himself to Abram. His name is Exalted Father, and he tells him to go, and that's what he does. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in church, I often heard a song, and it said, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And it was kind of a catchy little tune, and maybe you heard of it, or maybe your grandparents or somebody else heard of it. But here's what my personal experience is. My personal experience is is that you obey even when you don't see the immediate result. And then God builds his trust record with you, his track record of trust in your life. That sometimes God comes along and says, go. He blows down your fence. He opens up an opportunity. He says, I want you to extend hospitality to this person. And he opens that thing wide, and you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know how it's going to be delivered. But in Abram's life, God appears and tells him to go. So it's, the pattern is, would you be willing to obey even when you don't see God immediately deliver the end result? You obey. And then guess what happens? Then you see how God answers. You trust, you see, you experience God. But sometimes the first step for you and I is to obey. And we see this in the great faith and the life of Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. He's thinking, I'm exalted, Father, I have no kids. How do I become a great nation, right? 
But this is what God is telling him. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So does God promise that just the people that would eventually be the people of Israel would be blessed through Abraham? No. He, he says, all peoples on earth, do you and I include all people? We do. We'll see how that worked out. So he gives him this command. And in that moment, he decides, okay, am I going to go where God wants me to go? And you'll notice God doesn't tell him where to go. Could you imagine him? He's gathering all his friends, his people, and we're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to go that way. And he goes, until the place that God would show him. And God directs his paths. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life or your life, it feels like that. God, if you would just give me the destination, I will GPS, I will get there. And God's like, no, I want to be part of the process. You go and I will show you. And so here's the great faith of Abraham. So Abraham went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years, Abram was 75 years old when he had set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions he had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring... I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram went. He left what he knew and he obeyed God, but he didn't know where it was going to end. But when he got to that place, it was at that time the Lord appeared to him and he knew this is the land God intended to give me. But at first he just told me to go. That's all I knew was that he told me to go. And the charge is this from God. God says, go from your country, go from your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I want to ask you, which of those three is the hardest for you to leave? If God told you to leave the country, leave the United States of America, go to another place, for some of you, that would be the hardest place for you to go. If God told you, I want you to go from your people, you're going, Lord, my peeps? My people? No, I'm connected here. My best friends are here. I, everything I know is here. And if God told you to go from your people, that would be the hardest one for you to leave. For others of you, you've been married for years, but you've never left your father's household. You've never left your household of origin. In fact, your loyalty sometimes is to, to your family of origin, and you have not fully left and cleaved. You've not leave and cleave to your husband or to your wife, and they know it, by the way. But sometimes God tells you to go. To go. Which of those would be the hardest for you? Your country? Your people or your father's household? Abraham left all three. Well, Abraham, his name is Abram here, but God comes along later and changes his name. His name was Exalted Father, but he had no kids. And God comes along and changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So not only does he, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just, you know, an exalted father. I got no kids. But God's like, no, I'm going to make you father of a multitude. And when God changes your name, it indicates a change of identity and a legacy. The God's going, you've been called exalted father, but I'm going to come along and change your name. And you're going to be the father, not just exalted, but of multitudes. You're going to be a great father. And God's saying, I not only am going to do a work in you, 
but I'm going to do a work through you. And some of you, you've had a name in your life. Some of you, you've had an identity in your life. But God wants to come in and he wants to change you and give you a new beginning in your life. And some of you, you were nothing more than a son of a gun. And God wanted to come along and make you a son of the most high God or a daughter of the most high God. Others, you were lovers of pleasure and lovers of self, but God has called you not just to love yourself, but to be generous and to be a blessing to other people because he initiated being a blessing in your life. Others of you, you were without family. You didn't have a family of origin. God has called you, though, away from your people, away from your country, away from your family, to be a part of his forever family. He's given you a family to truly belong to, a family that not only has a new identity, but a family that has a legacy. As compared to the one that maybe you left or were abandoned by that you don't want to live out. God comes along and when he changes your name and your identity, it means he wants to change what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do for a legacy through your life. So we pick up the story in Genesis 18, six chapters later, beginning with verse one. The Lord appeared to who? Abraham, right? New name, new identity. This is time. Some time has gone by. God made a great promise to him in chapter 12. We're in chapter 18 and nothing's happened yet, except that he has a new name. So the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, right? He's having his siesta. It's hot in the desert. It's hot in the hills of Canaan. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. Now here's the picture. He's a Bedouin. They would move around in their tent. They had flocks and herds and and they would move them to where the grass might grow. And the grass wouldn't grow like it grows around here where it's super green outside right now. But it would just grow in little rivulets and they would just have enough for the day. And so they had to keep moving. But they're out in the desert. And if you see somebody out in the desert, typically it's a day's journey. And if they're coming toward your tent, they probably have gone about 20 to 25 miles. So you're out and he's sitting in the heat of the day when nobody should be traveling. Everybody should be sheltered down. You travel at the cooler times. It's the desert. And when you see three people standing there, and does, by the way, does it say, do they have camels? I mean, do these three people, according to the scripture, do they have anything with them? No. Do they have camels? No. Do they have backpacks? No. Do they have, you know, little water gourds? No. It seems like they have nothing. When you're sitting in your tent and you look out and you see three guys with no supplies, you know something about those people. You know they're in need. They need milk. They need water. They need food. They need bread. They need your hospitality. If you're driving in the Mojave Desert, and as you're driving through the Mojave Desert, you look over and you see up ahead, three people are standing there, and they, they do not have any supplies. There has not been a car for 25 miles in either direction. You see them standing by the side of the road. They do not have drug backpacks on. They don't have anything. You know something about those people. They are in need. They are in need of your help. They are in need of your hospitality. These are strangers, but they obviously are unprepared for where they are. Well, number two in your outline says, hospitality fact, when you break bread, you become like family. When we extended ourselves to our neighbors when the fence blew down, and Dave and Mary came over and they had dinner with us, all of a sudden something happens when you have dinner, when you extend hospitality, and you don't have really an agenda, you're just, we want to get to know you, all of a sudden it bonds you. 
You know those people. It's different when you wave at them in the neighborhood, right? Totally different. Hospitality, when you break bread, you become like family. Well, Bedouin hospitality, they would serve you four drinks. If you were wandering through the desert and you came upon a Bedouin tent and they had you sit in their tent in the heat of the day, the first thing they would give you is either tea or coffee. And the first thing he would probably give you is sweet tea. And so you would get it and you would drink it and you'd be like, oh, that is good. That is, your, your mouth is dry from being in the desert and you get some sweet tea and you're like, mm, that is good. And what that means is welcome. Welcome to my tent. This is a sweet place for you to rest. This is where I'm inviting you into my home and you give them something sweet. The, the second cup that they, and they give you little ones, but the second tea that in the course of conversation they deliver, it's sweet as well. The third one, maybe it's a cup of coffee, kind of like Turkish coffee, and they, they bring it to you and you, you sip it and you go, oh, it's, it, mm, it's, it's a little bit bitter. It's a little bit bitter as you're talking and having fellowship with the people in the Bedouin tent. And then the last cup they give you is really bitter, and it means it's time to leave. <laughs> so without even telling you, without them having to be like, oh, look at the time, they're communicating, come into my house, here's hospitality, but it's time to go without ever having to say, it's time for you to go. But that's what it means. There are four cups. There are these cups that are served and it's time to leave. Well, what does Abraham do with these three visitors? Pick up with me at Genesis 18, verse 3. He says, If I have found favor in your eyes, Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried in the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Well, right there, she's in the tent. He said, then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. When these three men prepare, uh, appear to Abraham, he says to them in verse 3, If I found favor in your eyes, Lord... There's this moment where I think it's a recognition that this is unusual. Nobody travels in the desert without supplies. This is an unusual interruption. This is a moment to offer hospitality, but perhaps it's more than just three strangers in the desert. Perhaps this is the Lord. And there are three of them who were there. This is called the theophany. That's when God would appear in the Old Testament in a physical human form and have the appearance of the man. So here we have three. We've got God. He calls him the Lord. He calls him actually Yahweh. It's not like Lord saying like uh, Mr or my friend, he calls him Lord, and he refers to them as his servant. So he identifies who one of them is right away, and then there's two angels. By the way, how many angels, if you know the book of Genesis a little bit, after this time go down to Sodom and visit with Lot? How many go? Two. Two angels go down and visit Sodom and Gomorrah and talk to Lot, Abraham's nephew at that time. But in this moment, there's a third so we see a theophany, God visiting with a human person, Abraham, and two angels with him. 
In fact, Genesis 18 says that it was the Lord, the proper name is Yahweh, who appeared to Abraham. It's the Lord who speaks in verse 13, 20, 26, and 33. And Abraham, it says, stands before the Lord in verse 22. But they come, and he offers them hospitality. They're there eating, and then all of a sudden, a message comes from them to him, and they ask about his wife, Sarah. Sarai, which is her previous name, that meant exalted princess. She was just an exalted princess, and Sarah means mother of nations. God had changed Abram's name to Abraham, exalted father to father of multitudes. They've changed, he's changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah, meaning the mother of nations. And the promise of God to Abraham, which over this time between chapters 12 and chapters 18, nothing has really happened, is now reaffirmed by God. He said, go, and I'm going to do a great thing in your life. He goes between chapter 12, between chapter 18. He comes back, and God reaffirms his promise of blessing to Abraham. Well, number three in your outline, if you just be yourself and host without an agenda, you may entertain angels. If you allow yourself to be interrupted, if you allow yourself to extend yourself to your neighbors, if you allow yourself, you might actually entertain angels. In fact, Hebrews refers back to a situation like this in Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, he says. Do not forget to show hospitality to who? To strangers. Who were my neighbors behind my house until we extended? They were strangers. They were neighbors, but they were strangers. We didn't know them, right? And for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, it's not a guarantee that you're actually hosting an angel. But I think the point is this, that you and I, by our nature, because of the hospitality of God, the blessing of God, are to be a blessing to other people. But when we get so concerned about our own lives, we could miss out on the opportunity to be a blessing to God, even to his messengers. Well, number four in your outline says this, when showing hospitality becomes routine, grumbling happens. Does God like grumbling? Does God like it when you and I complain and grumble? No, the Israelite people, after they were freed from Egypt, they wandered in the desert and God made them wander for a long time because of their lack of faith and because they grumbled. In fact, they, at times in the desert, he killed off a bunch of them for grumbling. But here's what I know is human nature. When you and I express, expend ourselves and we begin to show hospitality, sometimes we can begin to grumble about it. Maybe for you, you regularly have some family over and you say, maybe on the fourth Friday of the month. We're going to just rotate houses and we're all going to get together and, and then it comes your turn to host and you're like, I just, I know, I know it's fun and all, but I just, I just wish I didn't. And you start to grumble because it's become routine in your life. Maybe for you, you've hosted a, a circle group and, and, and you enjoy hosting the circle group, but after it's gone on a while, maybe you just feel like, I don't know, I've been so busy today. I'm tired. It's going to be tonight. This is the time we're going to meet and, and I just don't know. And you begin to grumble but then, of course, people come over, and you host them, you have a great time, and you feel so filled up because you've been in community afterwards. Because not only are you encountering God, but you're growing through community. Why? So you can live your calling. But hospitality is the heart of generosity. And grumbling shows that you're beginning to lose heart. You're beginning to feel and act selfish about your own life and your own comforts. Hospitality is not convenient 
It often feels interruptive, but once you give it, you're going to feel more filled and more connected with people because you've grown through community. And that's the way it works. We just looked at the book of 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it said this, Offer hospitality to one another without what? Without grumbling. That God is saying, I've been hospitable to invite you in. Now you go and be hospitable to invite in neighbors and strangers. A lot of people look at this passage in Genesis and God's then destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the life of Lot. And what did Lot do? Lot was a Bedouin like his uncle, Abraham. But Lot moved his tents and he moved them close to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we find that he left his tents and he got very much, he bought a house in the city. So he moved from being a, a mobile guy to being someone who's, I'm going to put down roots in the city. And then when we catch up, when the two angels come to visit Lot in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, we find that Lot is a leader in the city. So he's left being one who would be out and mobile and open to hospitality, but he's moved now into the comfort of the city. He's moved into what concerns self. And when those two angels show up, it's actually Lot of all people who invites them into a safe place where the people of the city wanted to abuse them. And they come to tell Lot and his family about the destruction that God planned for that city and to get out and to leave and to not look back. And so they escape. But people hear about Sodom and Gomorrah and they think, well, God just, God just killed off that city because of sexual immorality. But let's let God speak for himself as to why he destroyed that city. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, the prophet Ezekiel, speaking on God's behalf, says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, and overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty, and they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. So God's accusation against them is that they've lost a heart of hospitality. They, know, they were totally unconcerned. And isn't that what our culture does? We just say, well, if everybody would just take care of themselves, we would not be so concerned with everything else, then it would just be better. Why do we have to be concerned with everybody else? If I just take care of me and myself and I, then things will be better. And how's that working for us? God says that they were arrogant. They were overfed. They were unconcerned. And one of the outpourings of that is they didn't help the poor and the needy. And what happens when you and I become unconcerned and arrogant, what happens is we just begin to serve self. And when we begin to serve self, then we begin to act as I please. Instead of helping the people who would come, that God is saying, show hospitality to them, you're looking for a way to abuse them. And that was the case in Sodom and Gomorrah. When the angels came, the people of the town wanted to abuse them in sexual immorality. So instead of offering hospitality, they wanted to use them for their own selfishness. God calls you and I to be concerned for other people. Do you know on Easter Sunday last week, there were over 25 people who gave their life to Christ. Will you give your hands up for that? That was awesome. Some in the loft, some down here on the floor. Some of you might be here right now, which means that during the service last week, God revealed himself to people and people encountered God. So they encountered him. 
But now they need a place to land. They need to grow through community. And at Sun Grove Church, that's why we say we don't want to just be a church of rows. We want to be a church of circles. And I want to communicate to you that that's so critical. We need some of you to move out of your comfort zone to host a place so people who encounter God can become people who grow through community, who can be in a circle. It's phenomenal. And let me give you a picture of what hospitality can look like and why hospitality is important on your outline. I've got the word hospitality, and it means this. Remember your neighbor. Remember your neighbor. What does that mean? Don't live like Sodom. Don't live unconcerned for other people, including strangers. But remember your neighbor. Live concerned for others. Secondly, I want to give you, we need to, if we're going to show hospitality, we got to look back. What's our history? Our history means remember your past. That means we're living as one that God blessed through Abraham. Well, why did God bless us through Abraham? To be a blessing to other people. You say, well, I don't understand. How did God bless me through Abraham? And it's this, that God, by Abraham's faith in God, he chose Abraham Abraham did become a father of nations. Through his family line, the Jewish people were formed. And through his family line, Christ came to earth, lived, suffered, died to take your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross. He was dead. He was buried. He rose new life, which we celebrated last week. But through faith in him, like Abraham had faith in a God he had never met, we can be saved. I'm not Jewish. Many of you in this room are not Jewish. And yet we are blessed through Abraham. So we have to look back. We've got to remember our history that through Abraham, we remember that God blessed you and God blessed me. And so we're to be a blessing to others. And then we need to look ahead. If I show hospitality, what can it look like? And so legacy, remember your future. Live as one who can impact future generations and see people come to faith in Jesus through your hospitality, through your generosity. So as we talk about a year of generosity, we're saying live out love in action. Live out love, be generous in words, be generous in deeds. Hospitality is the heart of generosity. Live less concerned for ourselves and live more concerned for others. And the beautiful thing is this, that when you're on your deathbed, People will remember the way that you were generous to them, the way that you showed hospitality. You know, so often we get so concerned about our, our life, our stuff. Sometimes maybe you're going to remodel. Sometimes you want your car to look great or your house to look great. And, and the reality is we can get concerned with very earthly, temporary things that don't matter in the scope of eternity, and we can get off mission. If you come to our house, you're going to say, oh, Dave and Heather, their carpet, their carpet is awful. <laughs> their carpet is awful. But I guarantee you on my deathbed, people are not going to be like, do you remember how bad their carpet was? Unbelievable. I can't believe I even like walked on that. No, they're going to remember our hospitality. And you know what? We'll let our carpet get awful if we have hundreds of people come through our house because it's just stuff, and it doesn't matter. And we can refresh it every now and then. But sometimes you and I can get off mission. We can get so concerned. We can become the people who got plastic on our couches and carpet runners in our houses, maybe not physically, but in your heart. And all of a sudden, you're living unconcerned and overfed, and you have no care for the needy. 
and you wonder why you feel so empty and why you feel so disconnected when you are rich compared to the rest of the world. God says, this is simply because you just got off mission. You forgot what was really important. And I want to remind you to take hospitality home and remember your neighbor. Take hospitality home. Remember your neighbor. Remember your backyard. Sometimes God's going to blow your fence down and he's going to say, go, and you need to go. But even better is when God just begins to put on your heart, okay, God, who should I show hospitality to? And God begins to provide opportunity for you to show hospitality in your dorm room, you to show hospitality in your apartment, you to show hospitality in your townhome or in your house, you to show hospitality in your classroom, anywhere that you're able to do it because you've been so blessed by Jesus that you can become a person of generosity offering hospitality to others. And some of you, you're gonna say, you know what, I have great community. I'm in a circle, we love each other, my circle's so tight. And I'm gonna say, that's great. And God has blessed you with that circle, why? Because sometimes he's gonna call you to go and start your own circle. You say, Lord, I don't, who's gonna come, strangers? Yep. Who's gonna come, my neighbors? Yes. God did not intend you and I to simply get involved in a circle and be happy in a circle forever. But he's saying, because I've been blessed through you that you're going to go and be a blessing to others and God wants to take what he's given you and call you to lead and host a place, a landing place for those who do not know God to come to God, to experience God, encounter him, grow through community and live their calling. And it's going to change your life. You're going to say, I got a new definition. I went from being in a circle to being a host. I have a new identity. I have a new calling, a new thing that you're calling me to do. And some of you are going to invite your neighbors to your house without an agenda. And God will open a way through hospitality. And listen, we need mothers and fathers of nations, people who will, people in generations who will come to the Lord through your hospitality. Like you don't know. But when you open your doors of your life to people that they may come to know Jesus, why? Because you just were concerned for the needy. You were concerned for the lost. You were concerned for the neighbor who lived in a nicer house than yours, but was emptier than you can imagine on the inside. God wants us to reach all of Elk Grove. He wants us to reach the nations. Why? Because he has called us to himself. Listen, you might have a title. Your title might be empty nester. Your title might be widow or widower. But God is calling you to extend hospitality to strangers to, in a sense, give you new sons and daughters, uh, to enter a new season of family through hospitality. And for some of you in this church, I'm so impressed when I watch and see that for some of you, it means foster care. For others of you, it means adoption. Others, it's, it's simply you're saying, hey, I'm willing to work with the young adults in our church and kind of be mamas and papas of them, people who are just the next couple of generations ahead and mentor. And others of you are going to say, I'm willing to step out of the comfort of my circle and I'm going to host a circle group. So some of you are like, I'm not even in a circle, but I'll look about how I can host a circle group and invite your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and say, let's just get together. And if we get together, we could talk about some things and we'll resource you about what to talk about and how to facilitate a discussion about the Bible. But to offer hospitality, could you imagine if you remembered your backyard and showed hospitality to your neighbors? Why? Why do we do all this? Because today we're going to remember the one who said you were outside, you were pitiful, you were needy, you were naked, you were wandering, you were lost in the desert. And when God said to his son, go, 
Jesus left the comfort of heaven and came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a life where he would have to sacrifice, where he would give his life for you, a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb of God. And Jesus, when he was having the last supper, when he was having the first communion service, they were reclining on their elbows at a, at a table and they would, they would lean on their elbow, then they would break off pieces of bread and they would dip it in different things. And they were sharing the Passover meal because the Passover meal reminded them of when the Hebrew slaves came out of slavery in Egypt, when God rescued them. But God said, the last straw I'm gonna send is the angel of death. And to make sure that the angel of death doesn't kill your firstborn and visit your house and kill him off or her off, then you're gonna take a lamb, a spotless lamb, you're gonna kill it. You're gonna take its blood and splash it on the door frames of your house and on your windows. And when the angel of death comes, he's gonna go over, he's gonna pass over your house and he's gonna go straight to the Egyptians and he's gonna take their firstborn because it was the final straw that caused Pharaoh to let God's people go. That's what they're celebrating. And at that meal, there are four drinks. You take four glasses of wine and they represent different things, but there's a fifth cup. And the fifth cup's called the Elijah cup. It forecasts the future Messiah that would come. And when Jesus and his disciples had gotten to the, what would be the fifth cup, it's one that if you were celebrating the Passover, you would take and then you would pour it out. And nobody would drink it. You would just take it and pour it out. That was for the Elijah, the Messiah who would come. But Jesus gets to the garden on the Mount of Olives and he says, God, if, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let me do that, but not my will, but yours be done. And God was calling him not to pour the cup out, but to drink it, to take the cup of suffering because it was God's extension of hospitality to lost people like you and me who needed forgiveness for our sin, but we couldn't buy it, we couldn't pay for it, we couldn't undo all the things we've done wrong. But Jesus, the spotless, blameless lamb of God said, I will willingly drink the cup of suffering. And so he gave his life on the cross. He was buried in the grave. He rose to new life, conquering death. He is God, come in human form. He has ascended into heaven. And in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's Yahweh. He's almighty God. But God extended hospitality to you and to me. Why? So we could say, thank you so much. I'm gonna enjoy that forever. Nope. So that you and I show hospitality to others. That we take hospitality home and we remember our backyard. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. If today you realize that you've never received the offer of God for your sins to be washed away and for you to become clean and for you to come to new life in him and have a relationship with God, God didn't invite you to a belief. God is inviting you to know him, to celebrate with him, to experience hospitality with him. God wants to be in relationship with you, but he doesn't force it on you, he invites. And the way that you and I respond is through prayer, that we just say, God, I wanna be part of your forever family. I want you to wash me as white as snow. God, I want the forgiveness that comes through the suffering that you experience on the cross. And if that's you today, then you just pray a prayer to him and he hears you. 
that you just pray a prayer like this. Maybe something I say here, and then you just say it real quietly in your seat or in your heart. God hears you. But if that's you today, then pray something like this just after me right now. You just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, and that you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside and give me a new identity and give me a future. I believe that your death on the cross means I could be saved. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.